0: In honor of the passage of Scripture that brings us to this place today, let me ask if you are able to stand as we hear this story of Easter. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to the brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord for you and for me. Welcome to everyone. Happy Easter to you. The day of resurrection. And we certainly hope that this is indeed a day in which all of our broken dreams are brought back to life again. Welcome to our guests. You are very special. We're happy that you are here and hope that you will make, this, make us a regular part of your spiritual journey. Uh, please remember our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to have a record of your attendance with us. If you, if you wouldn't mind uh, filling that out and giving us your information and checking the appropriate box, we would certainly appreciate that. And now as you are already standing, let me ask you to turn around and share the love of Christ with the people around you by greeting each other in the name of the Lord.
1: Good morning. We have journeyed together with Christ in this time of darkness and repentance. From the time he has set his face for Jerusalem and revealed the evil that was to come upon him to last week when we found each of us calling out, crucify him. We extinguished the Christ candle last Sunday, the same candle that we lit on Christmas Eve to celebrate the birth of the Savior. We darkened that candle as we grieved Christ's death and as we recognized our own part in the conspiracy against him. We repent of our wickedness. But today is a day of celebration. Today the darkness has been dispelled. Today the light of Christ shines again, for evil will not win. Darkness will not prevail. They thought they had silenced a beacon of goodness, but he would not be silenced, even by death. He was raised again. Goodness prevails. The true light which enlightens everyone has come into the world. John 1.9
2: I'll be reading from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 32, the walk to Emmaus. Now on this same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. About seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
3: In a moment, we'll have our prayer. I'm going to share with you a psalm of Easter written by Joseph Bailey. Let's celebrate Easter with the rite of laughter. Christ died and rose and lives. Laugh like a woman who holds her first baby. Our enemy death will soon be destroyed. Laugh like a man who finds he doesn't have cancer, or he does, but now there's a cure. Christ opened wide the door of heaven. Laugh like children at Disneyland's gates. This world is owned by God, and he will return to rule. Laugh like a man who walks away uninjured from a wreck in which his car was totaled. Laugh as if all the people in the, wor- in the whole world were invited to a picnic, and then invite them. Let us pray. Lord of life, we pray for all who bring your word of life as a light to those in darkness. For those who bring your word of peace to those enslaved by fear. For those who bring your word of love to those in need of comfort. Lord of love and Lord of peace, Lord of resurrection life, be known through our lives and through your power. So we pray that we may celebrate this Easter with joy and that we may give freely of our blessings to bring honor to you. Bless us today and every day as we remember your undying love for each of us. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.
0: Don't you just love Easter? i tell you what, we, we pull out all the stops at Easter and it's a wonderful time and uh, beautiful music and such a wonderful sentiment. I'm, uh, I just love this, this, um, this Sunday every year. On um, February the 27th, 1991, at the height of Desert Storm, Ruth Dillo received a very sad message from the Pentagon stated that her son, Private Clayton Carpenter, had stepped on a landmine and was dead. Ruth later said, I can't begin to describe my grief and shock. It was almost more that I could bear. For three days I wept. For three days I expressed my anger and loss. For three days people tried to comfort me to no avail because the loss was simply too great. And I can imagine that every parent can relate to that grief. But three days after Ruth received that message, the telephone rang, and the voice on the other end of the line said, Mom, it's me. I'm alive. Ruth said, I couldn't believe it at first, but then I I recognized his voice. Ruth's son was alive. The earlier message had been a mistake. And she said, I laughed, I cried, I felt like turning cartwheels because my son, whom I thought was dead, was alive. Surprise, Ruth Dillo. The son you thought was dead is alive. A two-year-old girl could hardly wait for Easter to come. She had a new dress to wear and new shoes to go with it. But her father wondered whether she really knew what Easter was all about. And so he said, Kara, do you know what Easter means? And she said, yes, I do. So what does it mean then, her father asked. And with a smile on her face, she cried out, surprise! Surprise! And you know that there's probably no better word to describe Easter than that. Surprise! Surprise! That was the clear reaction of Jesus' disciples on that first Easter morning. It was a reaction of surprise. John, in telling of the, of the story, his telling of the story, focuses on Christ's appearance to Mary Magdalene. Mary had come to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away so so she ran to to Peter and to John and and said they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put Him. Evidently, the thought never occurred to Mary that, that Christ could be resurrected from the dead. So when Peter and John heard what Mary told them, they went to the tomb to see for themselves And when they too found that the tomb was empty, what did they do? They just went back home. They went back to the house where they were staying. There was no celebration. There were no cries of, He's alive! He's alive! You might have expected those who knew Jesus best to be bubbling over with excitement on that Easter morning because He had been delivered from the tomb just as He had been telling them all along. But instead, they were totally baffled. They were totally baffled that his body was not where it was supposed to be. It was not there. Apparently, they didn't expect her son or or expect him to be alive any more than Ruth Dillow expected her son to be alive. And folks, if we can relate to Ruth Dillo and her grief over the loss of her son, then we can surely relate to the grief that Jesus' disciples were feeling on that first Easter morning. If there is one proverb which describes the followers of Jesus right after the crucifixion, I think it would have to be Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, which says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. You see, even though Jesus's followers may not have been physically dead after his crucifixion, emotionally and spiritually they were walking cadavers, because you see they had no vision. On that morning they had no vision, and on that morning that we know of as Easter Sunday, Mary Magdalene went down to the to the tomb in an, not in anticipation of his resurrection. But she went down there to complete his burial. And so just like Ruth Dillow, Mary was crushed. Her closest friend, her mentor, her Lord, was dead. And she was heartbroken. Some of you have seen that wonderful musical, Les Miserables. You're familiar with that mournful song that Marius sings after his, his friends have all been killed in that ill-fated student rebellion, here are his haunting words. He sings, there's a grief that can't be spoken. There's a pain that goes on and on. Empty chairs and empty tables. Now, my friends, are dead and gone. Here they talked of revolution. Here they lit the flame. Here they sang about tomorrow. And tomorrow never came. That's the kind of pain that Jesus' followers felt after the crucifixion. On Easter afternoon on the road to Emmaus, two of Jesus' followers spoke of their dashed hopes by saying, we had hoped that He was the one to redeem Israel. Now I want you to notice something about that phrase. Did you notice the past tense of what they said? We had hoped. But they hoped no more. Because you see, their hope died with Jesus. And who can blame these disciples for their despair? Not only was their friend dead and gone, but if the Romans would kill Jesus, then surely they would also attack His followers as well. They had hoped, but they hoped no more. Their vision was gone. But my friends, here is the good news of Easter. It did not end. It does not end with a a group of women anointing a lifeless body. And it does not end with disillusioned disciples retreating to their homes. And it does not end with us giving giving up the hope or the search for joy and purpose and hope for our lives. No, my friends. Surprise! Easter ends with Mary testifying to her frightened and discouraged friends. I have seen the Lord. Easter ends with the disciples opening their eyes to Jesus as He breaks bread with them. And if we keep the faith, Easter can mean so much more to us than chocolate bunnies and a nice dinner. It can mean new life. And yes, it can mean new hope. But we first need to place ourselves in the the midst of this story. And we need to recall our own moments when we have thought to ourselves, I had hoped, but I hope no more. When Mary came to the tomb, she was puzzled to find Jesus' body missing. So she ran to find Peter and John and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of His tomb and we don't know where they have put Him. Then after confirming her story, the two disciples returned to their homes and left Mary alone in the garden. And in her despair, Mary could no longer hold back her tears. And apparently she was crying so hard that she didn't even recognize the risen Christ until He spoke her name. And then she turned towards Him and cried out in a moment of wondrous recognition, "Rabani." Which means teacher. I want you to think about this whole week leading up to Easter Sunday. This, has, this, is, this whole week has been a roller coaster of emotions for these disciples. Their spirits had been so high just a few days earlier. This was a time of Passover, which was always a season of, of hope because Passover celebrated freedom and deliverance. It recalls how God had delivered the Jews from slavery in Egypt and the hope was that if God could do it once, then God could do it again. And Jesus seemed to have nursed that uh, nationalistic spirit as He entered the city while the people waved their palm branches in joy. We celebrated that last Sunday. And I don't think that the choice of palm branches was an accident, for you see the palm branch Was the symbol of the Hasmonean dynasty, which had been the last time that the Jews had been a free people. And by waving those palm branches before Jesus as he came into the city, the people were saying, Jesus, lead us. Lead us. And we will follow you as we take our nation back. So you see, it was no wonder that the disciples were excited. Their time had come. They were about to establish a new kingdom in Israel. But now, less than a week later, the death of Jesus had shattered all their hopes. And it's no wonder that they had said, we had hoped that He was the one to redeem Israel. Because where there is no vision, the people perish. And their vision had died. On the cross on Friday. Now, if we take that to be a truth, that where there is no vision, the people perish, then the corollary must also be true. Where there is vision, there is life. And that, is certainly, that certainly turned out to be true for Jesus' disciples. You see, Mary Magdalene and Jesus' disciples had lost their vision for the kingdom of God when Jesus died. They had no hope of accomplishing what they had been working towards for the past three years. Their leader had died and so had their hope. But now, they received a new hope on that first Easter Sunday with the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. For Mary, it happened when Jesus called her name, Mary. For the two disciples, it happened along the road to Emmaus. At first, like Mary, the two disciples were prevented from recognizing Jesus. But as they walked along the road, Jesus opened the Scriptures to them and explained to them why the Messiah had to die on the cross. And as they neared the village, the disciples asked Jesus to stay with them. But when they sat down for dinner, the guest became the host taking the bread. He blessed it and He broke it. And through that simple act, Jesus made Himself known. These disciples knew that their Redeemer was alive and their hope was restored. You know, hope can be such a fragile thing, can't it? And the reason... It is fragile is because the forces of evil are still very strong in our world. We see those forces in the, the tragedy of racism. We see those forces in the exploitation of the drug trade. We see those forces in the violence that stalks our streets and even invades our schools. And for many people in our society, life just seems to be hopeless. Hopeless to get out of the ghetto. Hopeless to kick some kind of addiction. Hopeless to be successful. Hopeless to be happy and healthy. Hopeless to live a fulfilled life. They've lost their vision. And my friends, if we give in to those forces that enslave us and dispossess us and oppress us, then evil will win. But there's another way. And that is the vision of the risen Christ conquering death. It is the vision of Christ's people standing up against evil in the name of hope. It is the vision of one saying that one day my hope was dead, but now it's alive. In Christ, my hope has been resurrected. I think we would do well to remember the example of of Elie Wiesel. Uh, Elie Wiesel is a Jewish writer and Holocaust survivor. And for about 60 or 65 years now, Elie has been an outspoken proponent of justice and human rights and, yes, hope. For several years after they married, Elie and, and his wife did not have children because they were afraid that the world could not be trusted with another Jewish child. But then they changed their mind. And their decision to have children was inspired by the story of Job. Ellie said that he was struck by the fact that after all the terrible things that had happened to Job, he still decided to have more children. In other words, Job refused to let evil have the upper hand. And that even in Job's life, there was hope for a better tomorrow. And folks, when we do that same thing, by rejecting the work of evil people and by standing up for good, then we are on the side of God's kingdom. As long as evil is resisted and good is proclaimed, then God's victory is certain. So my friends, I want you to know today that God is still breaking through those systems which oppress and enslave. A system of injustice and cruelty executed an innocent man because it was politically expedient. They hung him on a cross. And the hope of his followers died with him that day. But then hope was resurrected. And God's Son lives. And since that time, the stones of Hatred and oppression and violence and genocide and despair and futility are still being rolled away today. And when they are, heaven itself breaks out in its own rendition of the Hallelujah Chorus. A man named Robert Smith once told about hearing the Hallelujah Chorus being sung by 500 trained voices. Can you imagine how wonderful that would be! The Hallelujah Chorus, of course, is the triumphant part of Messiah, composed by George Friedrich Handel in in 1741. And the story is that while he was composing this this piece, he imagined seeing heaven before his very eyes and the great God Himself enthroned in glory. And whatever the origin of the custom, the the piece has such an emotional power that even to this day, audiences rise as if in prayer as soon as the opening notes are struck. Smith wrote that he could not for an instant doubt Handel's claim to having seen this vision of heaven, not after having his soul lifted by these 500 voices. The Hallelujah Chorus, said Smith, is a, is a magnificent expression of two thoughts. First, that Christ reigns over all. And second, that His reign is eternal. About the middle of the chorus, the bass voices begin singing, and He shall reign forever and ever. And then the tenor voices join in, and He shall reign forever forever and ever. Then the alto voices, and He shall reign forever and ever. And then the high soprano voices, and He shall reign forever and ever. And then the bass and tenor and alto and sopranos all unite and in a burst of melody which seems to come from heaven itself as they blend in the grandest of all, ref- all refrains, and He shall reign forever and ever, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here's how Bob expressed his experience of being swept up by those 500 voices. He said, I frankly confess that my soul was stirred profoundly. My mind was quickened spiritually. And my imagination carried me beyond things earthly, beyond the stars, and into the very midst of the paradise of God. I saw a great chorus which no person could number assembled before the shining white throne. Most intently did I listen to the, shining, to the, to the song which they sang. And it was a song of triumph to the King of Kings, telling of His wondrous achievements and of the universality and permanency of His reign. He said, I heard the voice of the patriarchs peal forth, for He shall reign forever and ever. I heard the voices of the prophets sing, for He shall reign forever and ever. Then I heard the voices of the apostles and the church fathers, for He shall reign forever and ever. And then the voices of the martyrs. For he shall reign forever and ever. And then the patriarchs, the prophets, the apostles, the church fathers, and the martyrs, along with the angels and, the, and angels of God and all of the redeemed of all of the ages, they joined in one grand chorus, and my spirit was lifted to bliss supernal to ecstasy supreme as they peeled forth the blessed, the glorious, the triumphant strain. For He shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Most of us could not express it that well. But we've experienced that same emotion. It is the music of Easter. It is the joyous surprise of Mary and Peter and John and the disciples headed to Emmaus and to those others to whom the risen Christ appeared. It is the song that rings in our hearts even today. For He shall reign forever. And ever. King of kings. Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Doesn't that just make you want to sing? I can tell. You're chomping at the bit, aren't you? And can there be any more appropriate way for us to conclude our celebration of resurrection than by joyously proclaiming that Jesus truly did arise from the grave and now reigns forever and ever. Our choir will now conclude our Easter service with this beautiful, inspiring piece of music. And we may not be 500 voices, But we got about 12 or 15 here. (laughs) And they're good. And it can take us to the very throne of God. And we would like to invite any of you who would like to sing this beautiful song to come, to join our choir as we raise our voices in praise of King Jesus. Let us sing together the Hallelujah Chorus. Come and join us as we
2: sing. Come
0: May this be the most blessed Easter you have ever experienced. May it be a time when despair is replaced with hope. May it be a time when your eyes are open to see clearly the vision of Christ before you. May it be a time when your flagging spirit is resurrected. And may joy fill your soul now and always. In the name of God's Son, who resurrects hope for the hopeless, we pray. Amen. Amen. Happy Easter, everyone. Thank you.